0: Today and next Sunday will be the last two messages in this series on the Lord's Prayer. I hope that you have been helped by that and encouraged and challenged. I've had several mention, as we talked about at the very beginning of this series, that they had not heard a series of sermons on the Lord's Prayer before in uh, the, their Church of Christ background. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that this has helped and challenged and encouraged And uh, I'm looking forward to next week, not because it's the last sermon in the series, um, but because of what it is. Uh, Some of the manuscript evidence and some of the translations end the Lord's Prayer with, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And what I'll say next week, next Sunday morning, unless the Lord comes between now and then, which would be great, is um, asking the question, is there a more needed statement or message than that in our world today? That thine, God's, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Even today, even right now, even in the midst of all that we have been through, all that we're going through, all that is ahead. God is sovereign. And as our shepherd Ken shared earlier, message from the elders that we believe very strongly then that, that God is sovereign and that he will continue to lead and guide and challenge and provide. And this morning that he will continue to protect As we look this morning towards the end of this great model prayer that Jesus gave us, that Matthew records in chapter 6, Luke in chapter 11, we come to this verse, Matthew 6, verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Last week, we were able to look at the first part of that, the prayer, the request that God would Lead us not into temptation, that God would be our guide. And we reminded ourselves of that great passage of scripture in First 1 Corinthians 10.13 that says that we will never suffer temptation beyond what we can actually bear. God has promised that and he is faithful and will always provide the way out, the way of escape, so that we can stand up and be provided for and faithfully walk through those temptations. We just don't sometimes and that's why we needed a savior and that's why we celebrated the great sacrifice of Christ a few moments ago. Today we look at the second part of that. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And I like what Ken shared about the contrast between responses to the temptations that we face to either be bitter or to be better because the temptation part is going to come even though we pray lead us not into temptation we know that that the answer to that sometimes is going to be no. Sometimes God is going to allow us to be led into temptation, but he's always going to provide a way for us to make it through. But as we look into those temptations, what Satan is really trying to get us to do is to be bitter. It's to be bitter toward God, to be bitter toward his people, to be bitter toward his church, to be bitter toward his word because of the ways that God doesn't act like we think God should act. (laughs) Lead us not into temptation. When that temptation comes, it's Satan's goal for us to respond with bitterness. But there is the second part of this statement. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Translations translate it both ways. And that is the prayer to God, that as we face temptation and as we face times of testing, that we will allow God to work through those things to make us better, rather than giving in to Satan's call to become bitter and so today we see God as protector delivering us from evil delivering us from the evil one and so the first thing we have to say today is that evil Satan is real we can pretend that's not the case we can say that everybody has a degree of good in them, which is true. We can say that good will triumph over evil, which ultimately, in the long run, also true. But in the short run, not always. And so we turn to First Peter 5 and are reminded from the Apostle Peter how strong and powerful and real Satan is. And what his goal is, what his purpose is, what his desire is. His desire, again, is to move us away from God. His devi- this desire is to eat us up, to literally devour us. Satan is real. Evil is real. And so we pray for God's deliverance. In 1 Peter 5, these words beginning in verse 8, Be alert. And of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. A very similar statement to 1 Corinthians ten thirteen: No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to humanity. That's the statement that Peter makes here as well. Verse 10, And the God of all grace, who called you to his glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter ends this little paragraph with a statement of doxology, a statement of praise to glorify God. And that's how we will end this series on the Lord's Prayer next week as well. But as he begins this passage in verse 8, he calls us to be alert. He calls us to be conscious, to be aware to be of sober mind because our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And if we put our head in the sand and say, that's not really true, that Satan really isn't real, that there's really not bad and evil in the world, then we are not being faithful and we're not being biblical. The whole reason Jesus came is because Satan and evil are real. And because we are tempted and because we do fall into that temptation and sin at times. But the prayer is that God deliver us from evil. That God be our protector and he has promised us that he will. He has promised us that if we choose to, we can be better and stronger. Even because of the difficult and hard things that we experience... Because he can deliver us. Satan seeks to devour us and to turn us away from God and make us bitter. But God uses the exact same incidences and situations and experiences in our lives to make us better, to make us stronger, to bring us actually closer to him rather than farther away. Scripture is filled with examples of Satan trying to draw a wedge between God's people and their Lord, between God's people and each other. And yet, time and again, we see examples where God uses that exact same incident and instead brings them closer. Oh, Satan is very real. Evil is very real. And it is here, right here in River City. (laughs) right here in the city of roses. And we recognize that. We recognize that Satan is real and that evil is here. And so we pray. We pray to the one who is greater than we are because we can't overcome that on our own, but we can overcome that evil with the help of God. And so we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil that evil that is all around us, that that roaring lion who is using every possible means to turn us away from God, to turn us against each other, to cause us to sin and to lose the relationship that we have with our Savior. We pray for God to act, for God to deliver us from evil. And so the second thing this morning is this, God's deliverance is real. Just as surely as Satan is real, evil is real, God's deliverance is real. And I want to say what that means in just a minute, but first what that doesn't mean. What that doesn't mean, and I want us to be reminded of that incredible 22nd Psalm. This is the Psalm that that Jesus was thinking of when he was dying on the cross. This is the psalm that starts out in verse 1 with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's that verse, Psalm 22, verse 1, that Jesus quotes on the cross, and I think it's because he felt forsaken and abandoned by the Father, and because he felt all the things that this psalmist was struggling with as well. It was a very human expression, and in this psalm, as we read in Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8, the psalmist says this, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. They say, Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. I believe the psalmist was experiencing those kinds of things. Later on, the psalmist would talk about how God had delivered him. But what this deliverance of God does not mean is that it doesn't mean that we will never suffer. It doesn't mean that everything will work out exactly like we want or exactly even like we think it should. But that doesn't mean that God's deliverance isn't real. Because in the midst of that environment, in the midst of that test and temptation and difficulty and suffering, God's deliverance is real. It's real and we think of passages like Mark 15 that quote from this very word statement but it's not Jesus quoting and it's not the, the apostles quoting. It is the mob that's quoting and they don't even realize they're quoting it. As Jesus is hanging on the cross and dying, they're mocking him and they're using these exact words. Hey, Mr. Big Shot, why don't you come down from the cross now and we'll believe you. Let God rescue you. God delivered Jesus that day, but he didn't deliver him from death. He didn't deliver him from suffering. He didn't deliver him from the mocking and the ridicule and the pain. But it doesn't mean that his deliverance wasn't real. His deliverance was real. It just didn't look like what we typically think God's deliverance should look like. And sometimes it doesn't look like that for us too. Sometimes the answer to our prayers is no. Just as the Lord doesn't always keep us out of temptation, he doesn't always deliver us in this life from evil and the evil one. That ultimate deliverance is there, but Jesus himself said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. And in passages like Matthew 10 and in other places, he guarantees them that some of that trouble will be brought on to you because of your faith and trust in me. At the beginning of John 16, he says, people may cause you to suffer, even take your life thinking that they are doing service to God. And so God's deliverance doesn't mean that we don't suffer. God's deliverance doesn't mean that he answers every prayer with a yes. How do you know that, Bill? Mark 14, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Son of God, praying to Abba, Father, let this cup pass from me. But what's the next thing he said? Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And sometimes God delivers us from the suffering and the difficulty And the hurt, and sometimes God delivers us through the suffering and through the pain and through the hurt. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But what that deliverance does mean. What it does mean is this, and we think of that great statement in Matthew 16, Jesus' interaction with his apostles saying, who do people say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist resurrected. Some say Jeremiah or Ezekiel or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus puts it on them and says, who do you say that I am? He puts it on us too. Who do you say I am? And Peter, in one of those remarkable moments where he gives in to the Spirit rather than trying to shut the Spirit up, says you are the christ you're the messiah the son of the living god and jesus affirms him and he affirms the statement that peter said and he says in verse 18 upon that rock upon that rock of me being the savior me being the messiah the christ the anointed one the son of god i will build my church And the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's what God's deliverance means. It means that even though Satan is real, even though evil is real, even though he's walking around like a roaring lion trying to devour us, that he will lose, that he will not prevail, that the church that Jesus built on the fact that he is the Son of God that He is the Savior, that church will stand, and it will be victorious. Nations will come and go. Leaders will come and go. Money, health, popularity, all of those things will come and go, but it's the church of the living God that will last forever. The gates of Hades will not overcome it, will not prevail Against my church, Jesus says. And so we turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and this great statement that reminds us that God will deliver us. Verses 1 through 5 of Second Thessalonians 3. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us, the apostle says, that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. Just as he brought that message to the Thessalonians for the first time in Acts 16 and 17 in that second mission journey. Verse 2, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. Pray that we may be delivered from them, because not everybody has faith. Not everybody acts based on faith and trust in God. But the Lord is faithful, just like Paul said in First Corinthians 10, God is faithful. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. He will strengthen you and protect you. He will deliver you, Paul says, and pray that he will continue to deliver us as well. That that word will continue to go out. Looking back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The apostle continues that thought and shares it with the church at Corinth, not far from Thessalonica, both areas of modern-day Greece. 2 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 8, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia, that far western part of what we would call the nation of Turkey. He's telling the church at Corinth in the southern part of modern-day Greece that, hey, we went through some troubles there as well. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. God didn't save Paul from that suffering. He didn't save Paul from that testing and that temptation to give up, to just say, you know, it's too much. Verse, verse 9, indeed we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayer. God's deliverance is real and he brings us that deliverance. In chapter 12, Paul would talk about his own personal sufferings and say, but Christ gave me strength. He didn't take it away. That's not how he chose to deliver me. But what he did was he reminded me that his strength is perfected in my weakness. And he said, I'll go with that. It is well with my soul evil satan is real god's deliverance is real and so with the psalmist today we trust and celebrate god as our protector in psalms 18 and in psalm 34 the psalmist praises god for the deliverance that god brings and calls on us to remember god's presence And to give him all praise and all glory. And other psalms that you see there as well. And throughout the book of Psalms, we see time and time again of a suffering psalmist who praises God because of his protection, because of his deliverance. And it's so important for us to be reminded of that. For those who are online, we are so thankful that you're joining us today in worship, and we have so many that are here today physically present as well. And as Wayne shared, we need those reminders, we need those memorials, we need that touch in our lives that reminds us that what we see in the news, what we see on social media, what we hear from our neighbors and our family, that that, yeah, that all might be true, but it's not real from an eternal perspective. What is real from an eternal perspective is the deliverance and the sovereignty of God. And so we gather here today and we gather around this table to celebrate that memorial of the event that cannot be taken away from us. The salvation that comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so for all of you watching online, if you're part of our West Irwin Church family, we welcome you, and we pray for you, and we want you to come back. <laughs> when it's safe, when it's right, and for many of you, that's not we're not there yet. It may not be for a few to several more weeks, but we want you to come back. Why? Because we need that. We need each other. Even if we only see from <laughs> the top of the nose down, we need that reminder from each other. That's why God told us to come together to encourage one another, not just to be encouraged, but to be an encouragement to others as well. Anywhere with Jesus, I can safely go. Anywhere with Jesus, will be home, sweet home. As we close today, we make this statement from Romans 4, Jesus was delivered to death for our deliverance from sin. we We sometimes fail to remember that. The reason the father answered the prayer of the son in Gethsemane's garden with a no was for our sake, not his. Jesus was delivered to death for our deliverance from sin. Romans 4, he talks about the faith of father Abraham and and he makes this statement in verse 25. He was, Christ was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life For our justification. So many times as Jesus was in his life of ministry, he would tell the disciples, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And he will be mocked and he will be accused and he will be killed. And on the third day he will rise again. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Jesus was delivered to death for our deliverance from sin. And so what have I to dread? What have I to fear? I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning, On the everlasting arms of Jesus Christ. This morning, if we can help you do that, come as we stand, sing our song together.